Um, would you like to stand? I've got a Bible verse that's been on my heart this week. So if you stand together before we start singing. So it's from Psalm 63, verses 3 to 6. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be satisfied with the riches of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. So we're going to have a time of praise and worship together.
Thank you. A time of corporate sung worship is a very special time, isn't it? Such a powerful thing to hear God's people all lifting their voices and declaring praise to him. And it's right to do so because he deserves that praise for the gift of grace and mercy that he has shown us. Something we do not deserve, but he gave to us anyway. And it's wonderful that, I mean, you lot here, I mean, you've got, you got a pairs of lungs on you, you really have. Uh, and it's wonderful to hear. It's wonderful to hear that. So please continue to do that. But let us also remember that our everyday life is an act of worship as well, not just this sung time on a Sunday morning. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, good morning to you. My name's Craig. For those who don't know, I'm the pastor here at the Welcome Church. Uh, if you're new with us, you are particularly welcome. It's really busy again today, and it's wonderful. Please hang around after the service uh, for some tea and coffee and refreshments. Uh, just a disclaimer, I believe there might be a slight issue with our, uh, our uh, water heater. Um, so it might be a bit slow in getting your hot water and your teas and coffees today, but bear with us. All right? I give you more opportunity to talk to one another, but you will get a cup of tea at some point. Um, a couple of events coming up, or oh, a couple of things to notice actually. Uh, tiny Little Me, there will be no Tiny Little Me this week. Uh, I know, I know, I know. But unfortunately, well, no, I'm not, I'm not. There's the school um, uh, strikes going on, thank you. <laughs> uh, the strikes going on, so, and it just became a bit logistical nightmare trying to, to figure out a way of how we would get so many extra kids and uh, so forth in here. So uh, we take an opportunity just to uh, give people a bit of a breathing space on, the, on that Wednesday. But the following week is back on. But you need to book online. Yeah. Please book online if you want to bring your little ones or if you know any friends uh, that uh, would like to come and bring their children to it. It's wonderful. The team are amazing and it's just really, really good fun. Uh, they get to play lots of toys, lots of refreshments. And ultimately, and most importantly, I get to hear about Jesus. So, um, yeah, we're very grateful. Uh, who's booked up for the women's brunch? Ooh, there's still many hands that haven't gone up there. Uh, well done for those who've booked up. So women's brunch next week, uh, 10 a.m. to 12. Two weeks, 11th. Sorry. Uh, Sunday, Saturday the 11th of February, 10 a.m. till 12. We've got our ladies' brunch here. Uh, bookings online, so please just jump onto the, to the church website. Uh, and you'll, f you'll see it at the bottom of the, the, the landing page on the website. Click on that, follow the, uh, the link to fill out your details. Um, if you could try to do that, if we could request that you try and get that done within the next week, it just gives us a bit of breathing space to know what sort of food to buy uh, and how many we're catering for so that we don't waste food, yeah? Because as God's people, we also have a, a duty of care to this world uh, and not to, uh, to, to waste food and, and other things. So if you can maybe jump on this afternoon, there's a challenge for you. Get yourself booked up uh, and get along to that. And then next week, next Sunday, sorry, um, we have Baptism Sunday. 
Yes, it's very exciting. We love baptisms. We love baptisms. Uh, so please be here. Be here in enough time because I'm sure that the seats are going to run out pretty quick. And we probably will be definitely sitting on each other's laps. Um, standing room only. Um, but it's super exciting. Uh, so please, please get here for next week. The whole service is going to be dedicated to the, the baptisms that we have. Uh, and more details about those will be coming out uh, this week. Uh, but after the service next week, we are going to be having a bring a bring your own sort of lunch, just to spend some time in fellowship after the baptisms. So uh, the way that we, we normally do this is just bring your own food and we just sit around here, eat together and just enjoy each other's fellowship uh, and company for a couple of hours. So again, more details about that will come out this coming week via email, so please just keep your eye out for that. Now before I hand over to Emma uh, this morning, who's going to lead us uh, in prayers, um, we just wanted to take this opportunity uh, to really honour some incredible people in our church, in essence the people that really hold the workings of this church <coughs> together, and that is our ministry team leaders. Our ministry team leaders are in essence what you would find, our equivalent of the deacons that you would find in scripture. And our deacons, or our MTLs, if I'll, I'll use our correct terminology, uh, our MTLs, they look after, they care for, they lead certain ministries in the church. And they, those ministries are the cogs of everything that we do that keeps this church running, and keep its uh, focus uh, going. And we're incredibly grateful for our MTLs. And in a moment, <coughs> excuse me, I'm going to ask all of our MTLs who are able to be here today. Some aren't able to be here. But it's a wonderful thing that God's spirit is everywhere, isn't it? Yeah, because we're gonna, I'm going to ask us as a church to pray at the start of this new year for our MTLs. Um, and those who aren't able to be here today, they, whether they're here in the building <coughs> or at home, prayer is prayer and God is the same there as he is here. Amen. Okay? So, but before I do that, <coughs> excuse me, John, go and keep some of your water there on process before you, uh, you preach. <coughs> excuse me. Before I do that, we're excited to say that there are some changes in our MTLs uh, and our leadership structure. So, um, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I am going to embarrass some people. Uh, so, where's Sue? Sue here? I've seen Sue. If Sue, could you just stand up for us? So, Sue, and just stay, stay standing as well, please. Uh, so, Sue is taking over. Many of you know that Sue uh, has served in the leadership team before. Sue's taking over what has been this new creation of... Uh, uh, what we're calling a welcome team. So everybody on the door, um, everyone that serves the essential tea and coffee after the service, uh, the people that you might see scurrying around to prepare the communion and bits and pieces like that, that is, that is our incredible welcome team. And Sue um, has recently just taken up uh, that, uh, that, that responsibility. Um, we have a... Uh, where, where's Laura? I did see Laura. There's Laura. Laura, I'm going to... Would you stand as well? 
Now, again, many of you know Laura has been a faithful leader in the church as well for many years. Uh, but Laura has just re re-established leadership takeover of our events team. Yeah. Who was here for the uh, quiz night last night? Yeah. yeah. If you weren't, you missed it. It was good fun. We came last, but it's all right. You know, we're proud of that, underdogs. Uh, but everything we do as a, as a church for fellowship, uh, just to get together, have fun, enjoy time as a church fellowship, Laura is going to uh, be taking back over that ministry to plan all of those things and lead that team. So that, again, is wonderful. Uh, Rob? Is, is Rob here? Is Rob here? There he is. People are getting the idea now. Um, so Rob uh, is, has, well, just taken over uh, our local outreach team. Uh, and and uh, as you can probably imagine, our local outreach team's heart and focus is to, it, their, their ministry field is out those doors. It's within the town. It's trying to find opportunities to be able to engage with people in the town and to be able to share the, the, the love of Christ with them. And uh, they've recently, as a team, uh, just finished a Christianity Explored course. And one of those people that were on that course is one of the people we've been, ba been baptised next week. Amen. So amen for that. Uh, Steffi Muniapoli, who many of you know, who was uh, looking after the, the events team and has put on some wonderful events over the last year or so. Steffi, we're really pleased that she is going to be taking up the mantle of pastoral care in the church. Steffi really has a, a heart for people, a real heart to care for people. And we are really, really pleased that uh, she has... Um, heard the call on her life to step into this uh, really important and powerful ministry. Steffi isn't able to be with us today, but she is watching online and she will hear your prayers when we pray for her as well in, at the start of this exciting, exciting journey. But that's not there. That's not all of them. We have so many more MTLs in the church and I'm going to ask all of our MTLs who are present. So Kelly... Uh, for the women's ministry. Uh, come on, MTLs, where are you? Stand up. Bex, prayer. Esther, <laughs> your face, you don't want to stand up, do you? Worship. We've got Esther on kids and uh, youth over here. Incredible job that Lizzie does uh, on, on our youth. Some might not be, here, be able to be here today. But these people standing up, these are the cogs that keep this church ticking over. Uh, and the ministries and the people that serve within those ministries are, 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 are all amazing in their own way. And we are so grateful and so privileged to, to call them uh, leader in this church. You know, Mother, please stay standing. I know this is really uncomfortable for you, but please stay standing. Uh, Jesus was approached by the mother of the son Zebedee once because he, uh, she wanted her son's be at Jesus' right-hand side and left-hand side in glory. And Jesus says this in Matthew 20. He says, But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave even as the Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve, and to give his life 
as a ransom for many. Our MTLs in this church, they are servant-hearted. They wouldn't be in these roles if they weren't, if they didn't exemplify what it is to be a servant heart. They're not in this for glory. They're, on the, they're not in this for <coughs> self-gratification. They're in it because they see the need to be able to care, love on this church, the people outside in this community, and to lead the people who want to give their time up to serve in those ministries. And it is worth mentioning as well that the teams that make up these ministries, they are teams. They are real, you know, really community, uh, um, heartfelt, united people. And we're really grateful for all of that. Oh, just back to the Okay, still going. So what I'd like us to do as a church is to <coughs> stand up if you would join me. And we're going to pray for our MTLs that were standing here in the building. We're going to pray for our MTLs who may be watching online who, or who may not be able to be watching or be here today. The Lord knows who they are and many in this church know who they are. So what I'm going to ask is I'm just going to leave a few minutes. I'm just going to leave a few minutes and I'm just going to ask you as a church to pray for our MTLs. Pray for them this year. Pray for them to be, uh, to have hearts open to hear from the Lord. Pray for them to, uh, to be able to, to lead their teams in their ministries as the Lord would want them to to lead them as servant hearts in this church. Pray for them for blessing. Pray for them for patience, for endurance. You know, whatever the Lord places on your heart, pray for them. And I would just ask that if a few people would feel it, uh, feel able to, is just to pray for them aloud, and then I'll close out that prayer, and then we'll move on. So let's, uh, let's just take a few minutes.
Heavenly Father, Lord, you established your church upon the earth, and within that establishment, Lord, you commanded us and encouraged us, Lord, to place leaders within the church, not to lord it over your people, Lord, but to exemplify what it is to have a servant heart. And we are so grateful, Lord, that here at the Welcome Church. We have a leadership team that is made up of eldership and our MTLs. Lord, well, I'm so grateful for everyone who you have placed in those roles at this time and in this season. For Sue and the Welcome team, for Laura and the events team, for Rob and the local outreach, for Steffi and the pastoral care team, for Bex and the prayer team, Jeremy and the home groups, Kelly and the women's ministry, Sophie and Sally for Pathways, Esther for our kids' church, Lizzie for our youth ministry, Matt for our worship, Steve for our glo global mission. Lord, there's so many here who have given up their time to be able to bless on your people, lead your people, care for your people as we do the work of your hands and your feet here in Whitney. And as has been prayed, Lord, I pray that you bless our leadership in their going out and their coming in, in their waking up and their sleeping. Lord, bless their families. Bless their time with you. Lord, bless and strengthen them, we pray to walk as close to you as we are able to walk, to open their ears to hear from you and to be guided and led by your Holy Spirit. So we just lift up all of our MTLs into your hands this morning and we pray that you guide them and strengthen them in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everybody. For those of you who are quite young, children, and I think up to what, year 10, 11, you are able to go upstairs now. So um, go for your kids' church, youth stuff, that would be great.
It's a little bit sad, half the church empties. But anyway, have a great time. Isn't it brilliant to be part of the church? Isn't it brilliant to be part of the local church? And isn't it brilliant that we've come to church today without any fear of being followed, without any fear of arrest, without any fear of imprisonment? And now we're going to switch our gaze to the global church, to the fact that we've got brothers and sisters around the world who follow Jesus where they pay a huge, huge price for their faith. This week, um, I've had two images that have not really gone out of my mind. I can't show them today because they're too dangerous. It would put people at great risk and uh, put their lives in real danger. The image was of a 19-year-old guy with stripes, wounds, slashes all across his back. He received 40 lashes because he wants to stand up for following Jesus. 19 years old, but willing to say, Jesus, you're worth everything. 19 years old from East Africa. Look at that bulge, that horn of East Africa basically is kind of where he is from. And then the second image was of a woman again from that part of the world and she has chosen to stay in her country knowing that if she's discovered by neighbours, by her community, she could lose her life. And in fact, soberingly, her son lost his life earlier last year because he was running a secret house church. We've got brothers and sisters today around the world who are paying a high price for loving Jesus, for meeting together like we do. So let's make the most of being part of a local church where we can be free to worship and share the good news of Jesus to our friends and neighbours and our town. But there's a world out there that needs to also know about Jesus. And I work for Open Doors and our vision is to see the kingdom of Jesus spread across the whole earth in the darkest, most dangerous places that, that, that exists in this world right now. We want to see God's kingdom come. And Jesus calls us to be a part of it. It's not just for special people like me. I'm not very special at all. I'm really ordinary. But I love Jesus. And if you love Jesus today too, you've got brothers and sisters. And you're called to stand alongside them. And what we're going to do now, we're going to in a moment watch a video. About two weeks ago nearly, we launched something in Parliament called the Open Doors World Watch List. And that map showed you some of the top ten countries. In a moment, we're going to hear about Iran, which is number eight on the World Watch List. One of the most dangerous places to be a Christian. And the World Watch List, if you like, is the league table of the most costly places to be a Christian right now. We launched it in front of about 98 parliamentarians. But you know what? That was great. But this is even better to share it with you because you're going to pray. You're going to pray. You're going to have your prayers shaped and fueled to stand with the persecuted church. And I'm going to tell you how because I don't want us to be a church that just prays generally for the world and the church. We want to be praying specific prayers. And I'm going to give you the tools to do that after we watch this video, we're going to pray, and then I'll tell you what you can do. So as you watch this, it's about two and a half minutes long, and I know I'm really tight for time. I'd love you to be praying for what you see. Maybe it's just lifting the name of the country that you see. Use this as prayer, and then I'll wrap up after that. Thanks, Tracy. What would you dare to do for Jesus? Would you defy dictators? Worship in secret? Sacrifice your safety. Over 360 million Christians around the world face persecution and discrimination every day. 
And these are the top five countries where Christians risk everything for Christ. Number five, Libya. In this lawless land, both native and migrant Christians are targeted, kidnapped, and even killed. At number four is Eritrea. Christians who dare to meet without official permission risk arrest. Over a thousand believers are in jail without charge. Yemen is number three on the list. The humanitarian crisis continues. Anyone suspected of being a Christian will be deliberately overlooked for aid and might be expelled or killed by their own tribe. Number two is Somalia. Islamic militants are intensifying their hunt for Christians and violent attacks are increasing. And at number one, North Korea, the most dangerous place in the world to be a Christian. Spies are everywhere. Discovery means death, either by execution or by being worked to death in a labor camp. Despite the danger, in all these countries, the church is not defeated. It is living, powerful, defiant. And for over 65 years, Open Doors has stood with this church. Where Christians risk persecution, our underground networks support millions of believers with emergency food and aid, spiritual care, smuggled Bibles and Christian books, training and legal advice. And where Christians enjoy freedom, we work with local churches to raise prayer and support and to speak truth to those in power. Every day around the world, Christians risk everything to follow Christ. Will you dare to stand with them? continue our, our prayers and if you're able I just thought visibly let's stand if you're able and stand alongside the, the persecuted church so maybe you'd stand up if you can just want to read some verses from Revelation Revelation 5 John has this vision and it says this and they sang a new song saying you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchase for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And we thank you, God, for this vision that every tribe, tongue and nation would be represented in heaven. Thank you that one day you'll make all things new. We thank you for that vision that at the end of time there'll be no more pain, injustice, suffering, death. And you will just bring us into your kingdom when it fully comes to reign. And we thank you that you are the king, God of this universe, this cosmos. And that as we look at, in, at our world, which is just full of chaos and turbulence, you are the God who reigns. And you are building your church. Actually, it's a failing race to destroy your church around the world. You're building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we pray for North Korea, we pray for Somalia, we pray for Yemen, we play, pray for Libya, for Eritrea, and we could go on and pray also for Iran today as well. And we pray for those who are in prison for their faith. We pray for those who are on the run because they're meeting together and because spies betrayed them. And we just pray, Jesus, that they will know the promise that they are never, ever alone. And we thank you for that hope of Matthew 28 where it says, 
that Jesus, you'll be with us to the very end of the age. And I pray today that our brothers and sisters will know your peace, your protection, and that they would also know that it's worth it, that the price that you paid is so worth it. And we thank you that in so many of these countries, persecution is the engine for the gospel, that actually the gospel goes and it spreads in, in places that, humanly speaking, should not be possible. And we thank you for that. And we thank you that we get to stand with brothers and sisters. And as they swim against the torrent, and perhaps some of us feel like increasingly we're swimming against the tide, we get to learn from their testimonies. We get to be inspired. And we stand with them today. Amen. Amen. Just before I hand over to Jeremy, um, please sit down. Thank you. Um, I would just love to plug these two resources. This is a really nifty one. This is a prayer passport for kids. And it even looks like a passport. How cool is that? So if you want to pray for the persecuted church with your family, thinking sort of primary school kids, come up to me or Hazel. Hazel's over there. Give us a wave, Hazel. And uh, we'll let you um, order one of these, and we'd love to send it to you. So you can pray, not generally for the persecuted church, but specifically, and let their testimonies encourage, encourage in you, I can tell you. Learning from the persecuted church profoundly has shaped my, my walk with Jesus. And then for those of us who are a bit older, um, uh, can cope with this perhaps, it's called the Top 50, and it will take you through each of the countries on the World Watch list, 50 countries where persecution hits in an extreme way. And it's great. Just have it on a coffee table. Have it by the side of your bed. Dip into it. Pray for one country a week. But pray specifically for the persecuted church. They need you. They need you to stand with them. So come and see me or Hazel, and we'll be able to order these for you. Thank you. Jeremy. Thanks very much. So uh, we're, we're just going to pause the live stream for a moment um, because we have the real privilege today of having a family.
So, Heavenly Father, I thank you for our brother John, his vast experience, his experience with many in ministry around the world. John has been a witness to these areas of persecution, but now he shares his, your word with us. I pray that you would enable him by the Holy Spirit to share in power and in truth, and that your name would be glorified through. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. We can all do that. Isn't Google wonderful? I want to begin with a confession, which some of you may find provocative. When I first saw the passage that had been allocated to me, my immediate thought was, it would be much better if the preacher was a woman. The incident recorded here in, by Luke concerns two women. And a woman preacher might be more suited to understand its significance for women. On the other hand, the two women are two human beings, and we'll see that the main lesson from this passage uh, applies to men as well as to women. Now, of course, if we do have problems with this prospect of a woman preaching to men, some may, let's re at least realise that in this instance, it wouldn't involve teaching um, doctrine or theology or, or ethics, morality. Uh, a woman preacher dealing with this passage would simply be sharing what she understood God was saying through the passage. Now, I can say all this because I'm no longer an elder. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Uh, we'll come back to that topic a little bit later, as you'll see. But next, we'll have our reading. We'll read the passage. Uh, Luke, chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he had said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Oh, thank God that's in the Bible. <laughs> Jesus is on the move again. Luke doesn't tell us where this incident occurred. He's not actually working in a strict chronological order. Nor does he even tell us the name of the village. As someone has said, the event is more important than the place. But we do know from John's Gospel, of course, that the, the village was Bethany. Uh, that was, a, in that time, a, a little village one and a half miles east of Jerusalem on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives, on the road to Jericho, which perhaps is why Luke puts this account immediately after the parable of the Good Samaritan, where people were going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Today, however, the site is a large and important Muslim uh, town, 
as many as 22,000 uh, inhabitants in the occupied West Bank, and it's named after its most famous resident, Lazarus. So it's called El Azaria. Now, it's in John's Gospel, chapter 11, that we discover that the two sisters, Martha and Mary, had a brother called Lazarus, possibly a younger brother. He's not mentioned in this incident, but he features, of course, in that later incident when Jesus raised him to life after he'd been dead for four days. And the whole family were quite clearly devoted followers of the Lord Jesus. It looks as if Martha whose name may mean mistress, <laughs> was the older sister and owned the house because it says she welcomed him, Jesus that is, into her home. Um, whether that means he's going to stay the night or it's just a, 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 a meal during the day is not clear. What is clear is that Martha has the gift of hospitality big time. Uh, she, has it, she practices hospitality the thing that we're all told to do as Christians, isn't it? Uh, we're not told nothing about the marital status of these two women, whether they were unmarried or whether, in fact, they were widows. There's lots of things we'd love it like to know, but that just would distract us from the main point of this passage. Luke introduces us to Mary as Martha's sister, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. We're not told if there was anyone else with her. It sounds as if it was just her and Jesus. Though actually, I believe the, the, the disciples were there as well. That he, Jesus took them, just as he did to the wedding at Cana uh, and so on. They were with him all the time, his disciples. But it sounds as if it's just Mary, Martha, sorry, Mary and Jesus, doesn't it? Uh, and Mary in this account is, a, is the silent one. She doesn't speak. <laughs> uh, and we're not told what Jesus was teaching. Because all the focus is actually on Martha. Now, we before we come just to Martha's complaint, let's consider the implications of this apparently simple, innocuous description of Mary. She was sitting at the feet of the Lord, the Lord Jesus, listening to his word, to what he said. Mary has adopted the position of a disciple. The verb that uh, Luke uses suggests that she took the initiative. Now, rabbis, Jewish teachers, would sit down to teach and their disciples, their students, would sit at their feet. Um, that's what happened when Jesus gave what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's what happened when Saul was educated in, in, in Jerusalem. He sat at the feet of, the, of Gamaliel, Rabbi Gamaliel. Now, apparently, Judaism did not actually forbid a woman to be instructed, say, by her father uh, in, in the law, in the Torah, but it was unheard of for a rabbi to allow a woman to sit at his feet. It would imply that she was being trained to teach others, to become a rabbi, if only to, to teach women. In fact, as far as I know, it wasn't until the 1970s that some types of Judaism uh, in the West had female rabbis. The significant thing here is that whilst Mary may have taken the initiative to sit at the feet of Jesus, Jesus didn't stop her. In fact, it seems from his words to Martha that he positively encouraged her. 
So we turn to Martha's complaint about Mary. Apparently Martha's all on her own in the kitchen. <coughs> we don't seem to have any servants. And here she is slaving over a hot stove, as we say, and getting more and more hot under the collar, trying to prepare all kinds of uh, dishes in honour of, of, of their distinguished guest. As someone said, all she's asking for is fair play. Luke says she was distracted with all her preparations. And it's a very interesting word that Luke uses because it's the only time it occurs in the New Testament. It means to be pulled away. Uh, it may mean that she simply found all the preparations too much of a burden or a worry. She was frantic. <laughs> or it may mean that she had been trying to listen to Jesus but found it impossible to do two things at once. Now, I know women are supposed to be a good at multitasking. <laughs> but there are limits. There are limits to what activities can be combined. My dear wife, um, <laughs> who has read this sermon and given me permission to say... <laughs> My dear wife <laughs> can watch the television, read a book, knit, and WhatsApp somebody all at the same time. <laughs> Anyhow, <coughs> seeing Mary relaxing at the feet of Jesus, not lifting a finger to help with the meal, was just too much for Martha. She blew her top at Jesus, right? Even though she addresses him as Lord, which is perhaps just a title of respect for a teacher, she's pretty disrespectful, isn't she? It's a bit audacious, isn't it? Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. It's rather like the disciples in the storm on the lake, isn't it? Saying to Jesus, teacher, don't you care if we drown? She's a bit naughty. Now, we might commend Martha for taking her complaint to Jesus. We sing, have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. On the other hand, we could argue, on the basis of the teaching of Jesus recorded in Matthew 18, that she should have begun by confronting her sister before appealing to Jesus. But perhaps she had and got no response. I don't know. So look, Jesus' reply. It was probably the opposite of what she expected. Right? It's a gentle and affectionate rebuke, isn't it? Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary's chosen what is better, the, the good part, and it will not be taken away from her. It is a gentle and affectionate rebuke. Not for her disrespectful words, but because her, he, he, he hears her heart. Now you can see from the footnotes in, your, in most Bibles, if you can read that small print at the bottom of the page, <laughs> that there are variations in the Greek manuscripts as to what Jesus actually said. But in the end it makes very little difference to understanding the gist of what he's saying. If we follow the longer reading that's in the NIV, for instance, here, 
Jesus seems to be saying that Martha doesn't need to be fussing over the production of an elaborate meal, you know, a variety of dishes like Turkish mezes or Spanish tapas. And even if her motivation is to honour and please her distinguished guest. If we follow the shorter reading, which is in the ESV, but one thing is necessary, Jesus seems to be saying that one dish would be enough. But of course, he may also be referring to what Mary has chosen, this one thing. And that's his commendation of Mary, which I think continues this imagery of, of food, of a meal. Mary has chosen the best dish. Uh, the message puts it like this. Only one thing is essential, and Mary has chosen it. It's the main course. In other words, the best meal is the word, the message, the teaching of Jesus. Way, way back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 8.3 says, people do not live, should not try to live, cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So I wonder, are there any of us here this morning and we're just trying to live on the physical level? Mm -hmm. eh? On physical bread. We need to come to Jesus and listen to what he's saying to us. And he's saying, I am the bread of life. Yeah. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Yeah. And when we come to Jesus, confessing our sin, our our selfishness, our, our self-centeredness, and we receive forgiveness because he died on the cross, took the penalty of our sin. We receive the gift of eternal life. We begin living in relationship with God, a relationship that will never end, a life that will never end. I wonder whether that's ever happened to you. It could happen this morning if it hasn't happened before. You could simply come to Jesus and ask him to come into your life. Yeah. Or you could stay behind afterwards and go into the prayer um, tent, I was going to say. <laughs> um, Corner. 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 Thank you. Uh, and others helping you to come to know Jesus, yeah. to put yeah. your life in the life hands of Jesus. That's up to you, isn't it? Now we must ask what God is saying to us today through this passage. Although, it's pretty obvious. It should be pretty obvious. Um, one commentator, Daryl Bock, summarises the basic lesson like this. The disciple should never be too busy to sit at Jesus' feet. Yeah. That sums it up, doesn't it? Yeah. Mary's done the right thing. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's soaking in his teaching. Martha needs to slow down and relax. Now, there's obviously a lot more could be said about a scenario like that. Someone's got to do the cooking, haven't they? People need to be fed. Uh, and when she's served the meal, can't Martha then go and join Mary at the feet of Jesus? And couldn't Mary perhaps help with the washing up? I mean, you know, it doesn't have to be quite so sort of... What's the word? Divisive. Um, two, two different roles. Now, of course, some commentators interpret this passage in terms of different types of temperament. Martha is the activist. Mary is a contemplative. Martha could well become a church worker, a deacon, an MTL. Huh? 
Mary could end up in a convent, spending all her time in study and prayer, couldn't she? Now, it is true that all of us, men and women, have different temperaments. But the main lesson of this passage is that even the activists among us need to spend time at the feet of Jesus. And the contemplatives, well, they should be prepared to get their hands dirty and be involved in some active service for Jesus. But it doesn't say that. (laughs) Now, it may come as a shock to the younger ones amongst us to hear that uh, since the day we were married, Barbara and I adopted what we regard what they would regard, sorry, uh, what you might regard, as a chauvinistic regime of division of labour. She does the cooking, the washing, the ironing, the cleaning and the gardening. I spend most of my time in my study, reading and preparing for preaching and teaching. I do, however, try to do the washing up and I do the driving. Now, I've been given permission to say all this, The important thing is this. We're not trying to show off or anything. just want to share a bit of personal uh, testimony. The important thing is this, that I've always tried to ensure that Barbara has sufficient time to spend with the Lord, reading the Bible and praying. So first thing in the morning, not every morning, but mostly, I take her a a mug of tea so that she can stay in bed she can have a quiet time with the Lord. See, I'm the butler as well as the chauffeur. <laughs> then a bit later, we do Lectio 365 together. Um, now, of course, I realise that, that being retired, it's much easier uh, for us than it is for those who have to go out to work. But the principle surely remains the same. You know, Put Jesus first, spend time with him, however short it may be, preferably at the beginning of the day, listening to his voice, and then go off and serve him in your various activities and in your various ways. Uh, And then on the days when you don't have to go to work, then you should be able to spend a little bit more time in Bible study and prayer, shouldn't you? Perhaps I should add that I believe that it's bordering on superstition to think that if you don't start the day with a quiet time, everything will go wrong. Mm. Our Heavenly Father is too gracious and understanding yeah. Yeah. to be like that. So don't get hung up on that one. Now, as some of you know, I'm a fan of Tom Wright, who is a, a brilliant New Testament scholar. That doesn't mean that I agree with everything that he says or writes. He often seems deliberately to, to take a different interpretation from the traditional one, And that's what he does with this passage. He claims that the real problem between Martha and Mary was neither the workload that Martha had in the kitchen, nor that, as some have suggested, that both sisters were romantically attracted to Jesus, and that Martha was jealous of Mary's adoring posture sitting at the feet of Jesus. No, Tom Wright thinks that the real problem was that Mary was behaving as if she was a man. (coughs) That she'd crossed the invisible but very important boundary within the house and another equally important boundary within the social world 
because the public room was where the men met, the women were confined to the women's quarters. And sitting at the feet of a teacher was a decided, decidedly male role. It, didn't, it certainly didn't mean adopting a devoted dog-like uh, adoring posture as though the teacher were a rock star or a sports idol, says Tom. No, to sit at the feet of a rabbi was what you did if you wanted to be a rabbi yourself like Saul with Gamaliel. And Mary has quietly taken her place as a would-be teacher and preacher of the kingdom of God, and Jesus affirms her right to do so. Now, that's pretty provocative for some people, isn't it? Uh, and I think those words need to be weighed in conjunction with the other things that the New Testament says about the role of women in the church. I believe that our elders are still discussing this issue. Uh, I've not heard recently, but uh, what we must do is pray for them. And, um, and, and, and for ourselves, also read the relevant passages uh, and, and ask the Lord to show us his will for today. Okay? So I think this is an ongoing issue, um, the role of women, particularly um, vocal role uh, in the life of our church. Now, if the, ba if the bang comes up, we're not rushing away. We're not finishing immediately because we want some, some response to whatever God is saying to us. Let me conclude what I have to say by quoting David Gooding. The story has its obvious lessons for us. We too are on a journey. Life at best is short. We cannot do everything. There's not enough time. Like Mary, therefore, we have to choose, and choose very deliberately. That's why I've taken this title, Choosing the Better, which is what she did. Some of us would say the best, but that's bad grammar. Uh, life's affairs will not automatically sort themselves out into a true order of priorities. If we don't consciously insist on making sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to his word our number one necessity, a thousand and other things and duties, all claiming to be prior necessities, will tyrannise our time and energies and rob us of the good part in life. Amen? Yeah. Now, I'm going to ask you to remain seated for the initial part of our response, a quiet, reflective song, and then we can stand and, and be more, as it were, outgoing in what we, what we sing. Is that all right?
Tin coffee prayer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.